morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. It is Friday, August 26th. This is episode number 184 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Gerald Ozier, and over the next 45 minutes, that's right, I said 45 minutes, we're going to be going through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day, and I'll be delivering my expert analysis on what each of those stories mean and how you can operationalize that in your work. So if you're Working in industry, there's going to be value here for you on how you can take advantage of this right away. Or if you're looking to break into the industry, um, getting that context, getting that familiarity with the terminology and wowing interviewers with the knowledge that you've gained from the show, you're going to love it. But before we get into it, shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and get your business back on track. Thanks to Barricade Cyber Solutions for longtime sponsor of the show. BarricadeCyber.com if you want to get more information. It, guys, I'm telling you, if you work somewhere, you know, and you don't have an incident response plan, uh, you know, I'm not talking about like a flare up on Carl's machine. I'm talking about full blown ransomware incidents. You don't want to be trying to figure out how to put that fire out on your own, okay? Eric Taylor and the gang at Barricade Cyber, that's what they do. They're very good at it. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs, like CISP, CISA, CISM, all these wonderful acronym certifications, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. But Jerry, that doesn't sound like very much. What am I going to do with a half a CPE? That and a cup of coffee, right? Or that and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee. Well... They stack. So if you're here on the regular, you know this, two and a half a week, 10 a month, roughly 30 a quarter. Be sure to say what's up in chat so you can forensically be auditable. And it's unequivocally, you're here collecting these CPEs. It's literally the most enjoyable way that I know of. And I'll, I'll have a conversation with anyone who has a better way to get CPEs than Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. So just say what's up. And then the real pro tip, you know, if you got gray in your beard like this guy, the real pro tip is documenting it uh, with your certification body, like, you know, quarterly or whatever. That way you only have to do it once and you, you capture all the things. If you just try to do a half every day, you'd, you'd lose your mind. If you are live, love it. I see 63 of you already in here. Everybody's stacking in here. Let me check the numbers. Uh, yep. So we're at 63. It is a Friday. Uh, people are going to continue to pile in. I love it. Uh, hopefully you guys caught the stream last night with Mike Miller. Uh, mystery solved on breaking into cybersecurity. It was a really, really great conversation. It's available on replay and the Simply Cyber audio podcast also. If you are watching on replay, look at this. Got, got mad love for you. Hashtag team replay. I even got some sound effects where he wears my Viking horn. You know what? Right? Hashtag Team Replay. I'm representing. Guys, I, I love it. Whether you're here live or you're on replay, I genuinely appreciate you getting this information, engaging with each other, being inclusive. Now, as always, if you're on replay and you don't want the pleasantries, which is what we do for the first couple minutes, that's cool. Hop on over to grab the slider, slide to the right until this picture right here turns into news. Or if you're listening on your audio podcast app of choice, just jump forward you know, whatever, two minutes and you'll be good to go. But for those of us living in the now, living in the present, I'm going to pull off the uh, script, grab up my oversized large cup of coffee and welcome all of you 
into chat this morning. Good morning, Matthew Lottis. Good to see you, Zalia. Hashtag Team Life. Lupe Peterman. Hope the GRC gig is going well. I saw a lot of people talk. Munchkin's got an interview coming up. Good luck with that interview. I did watch the replay of the um, of the interview last night. It was really good and saw a bunch of chats in, in the stream yesterday. Internal Stranger, what's up from Australia? Guys, it is Friday. Let's run the con let's run the let's run the globe, guys. We got Australia, Texas in the house. James McQuiggan, my man. Coffee cup, cheers. All right, so we got Texas and North America's here. Brent Garee and Emerson coming in from the Low Country. Love it, love it, love it. Let's see anybody. We got we got North America. We had a tough time with South America the other day. Hey Amadou. Hey Sasha. Sasha, tell us where you're coming from. I know it's Germany. We got we got England. Uh, excuse me. We've got. Um, Europe in here. Astidwo, I hopefully I didn't say that incorrectly, Panday, coming in from Nepal. Check for Asia. Guys, can we get some South America? Lindsay, coming in from Seattle. UK is up in here. Hey, Ms. Julian from the Mountain State. Love Vermont. Denver, Tuvia. Denver's such a cool city. I wish the airport wasn't like in a different state. <laughs> but Brooklyn, Brooklyn in the house. I love it. Oh, yeah. Come on, NYC, New York. All right, Central PA's in the house. Minneapolis, Shane Prevost, do love it, love it, love it. Greg L's ex Suriname. So we have we have some South America feels. Uh, yeah, the country of Texas. That's right. So we've got North America. Anybody from Africa in the house? I know we usually have some South African contingents. Nigeria, Ghana's up in here. Southern Illinois is in the house. Hey Ken Pryor, good to see you. Good to see you, Missouri. Brent Gris is in Belgium. Oh. Very cool, man. Lots of great beers out in Belgium. Cheers to that. Let me have a, a sip. Eric Owusu. Good to see you, Eric. Stephen H. coming in from Cali. West Coast. Hey, love love it, Stephen. I know it's wicked early out there in Cali. appreciate that you got up for it. Mm. What's up, Brian? Dan starting next week as a security engineer. Nailed it. Hold on. Let me let me get a... um um. Hold on. Can I? There we go. The soundboard lets me play it a lot faster. All right, guys. Coffee in hand. It is Friday. Oh, Dominican Republic. Thanks, Tom Bishop. Okay, we got some Caribbean action. Love it. Love it. Love it. So Africa and South America. You guys keep your eyes open in chat. Let us know if we can run the globe today. Uh, I will get started. It is Friday. I have spoken to my comedy talent, Grayson. He has provided us with a joke of the day, so I will be bringing the heat with that. Uh, and super excited, but guys, let's get into the news, okay? Oh, by the way, really quick, I did run a poll on the Discord server yesterday. If you like the show 30 minutes or, um, well, I'm sorry, 30, 60 minutes, we're going to do 45. That's what we're doing from here on out. 45 minutes, it splits the baby in half. Everybody wins. Um, I asked people if you wanted 8 a.m. every single day. Or if you wanted 8 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, 10 a.m. The difference being it would it's me every single day. Or you get the 8 a.m. consistency with a guest host Tuesday and Thursday. Somebody approached me and said that they would be the guest host if I wanted it. I pulled the community. Um, the community uh, want, overwhelmingly wanted me to continue to host day to day. So that's what we'll do. Community service. That's how we roll here. All right, guys. Let's get into the news. Here we go. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. 
It's Friday, August 26, 2022. North Korean malware present at Black Hat. IronNet, a security firm hired to assist at Black Hat's network operations center, discovered several active malware infections on the network, including SharpExed, which has been attributed as having direct connections to North Korea's top leadership. The threat hunters stated that during the conference they observed numerous callouts from four unique hosts to three domains associated with the malware. This might have been from someone who had SharpExed on their machine, bringing it into the conference, or picking it up while there. The SharpExed browser extension is typically installed on a victim's Windows PC once it has been compromised via some other vulnerability or infection route. Okay, <clears throat> couple interesting things here. One, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about using the network at Black Hat, using the network at DEF CON. If you go to Black Hat, the network is very well protected, right? In fact, in years past, I didn't I didn't look for it this year, but in years past, the NOC, the Network Operations Center, which is also kind of like the SOC, the Security Operations Center, they'll have it built out and they'll actually have like a glass wall it, like inside the room. So basically you can enter the room and then you can observe the NOC like a VIP and then you can leave and you can, and it's all dimly lit. It's mostly monitors and blue, blue led lights and stuff like that. It's pretty, pretty cool. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Stephanie Hobroch, who actually went through the PhD program with me was involved a couple years ago with the knock. And she actually gave me a little bit of behind the scenes and stuff like that. Very cool. First of all, it's, it is it is an attack network. People are actively attacking the wireless network. So much to the point now, I wouldn't feel comfortable attacking the network, but Stephanie told me that, and I saw it, that they've actually laid out like Easter eggs basically on the network for people to find who are probing the network and looking for stuff. And they actually had a monitor of Cookie Monster, you know, the the, the one where he looks like he's in an office and he's just rolling his fingers. And then if someone hit the box, right? Someone like basically like a honeypot. If someone hit the box, Cookie Monster would like flip out and take cookies and just dump them on his face and stuff. And it was telling the people in the knock that the, the honeypot had been hit. So I, I loved that they did that, but um, they were protecting the network. There were, you know, people trying to do, you know, malicious stuff on the network and they were doing a fantastic job of protecting it. So you may have seen I live stream from Black Hat. Like I have utter complete confidence in the integrity of the wireless network at Black Hat because they do take it seriously in providing it as a service. Now, having said all that as, as kind of a, a primer, somebody at Black Hat had a compromised machine that was beaconing out to known C2 infrastructure um, hosted by North Korea uh, and the SharpX malware. What's interesting is they said that they saw the DNS queries, but they didn't see any data go out, um, which by the way, you know, to me, you know, maybe I'm simple, but that doesn't seem surprising to me, right? If typically when there's compromised endpoints, they beacon back on some cadence waiting to see if there's something new to do. That's how you control a botnet. It's way easier for the bot to reach out of your network because there's no access control list. There's no firewall rules um, preventing outbound communication. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but you know what I mean? It, it's way easier to go out. Carl can go to any website he wants, basically, minus web filtering and stuff, versus the C2 server reaching into your network, right? So to me, it 
I would just think it indicates that there was a compromised host that was beaconing out to some C2 infrastructure that wasn't trying to send any commands. But cool, cool finding. And it just reiterates the efficacy of Black Hat's knock team. So good on y'all. Ransomware attacks jump as new malware strains proliferate, research finds. Ransomware cases have jumped 47% amidst the rise in attacks involving newer strains of malicious software infecting targets, according to the cybersecurity firm NCC Group. Reported incidents increased to 198 in July from 135 in June, according to the firm that issues semi-regular reports on ransomware activity by tracking websites that post victims' details. Lockbit alone was associated with 62 incidents in July, according to NCC Group, nearly 20% higher than its June total of 52 known incidents. Lockbit remains the most threatening ransomware group and one that all organizations should aim to be aware of, the company said. Okay, agree 100% there. So there's going to be some actionable intel here. And this might even be the, um, this might even be the one for peers uh, on my email. But check it out. NCC Group, shout out to Basecase, uh, Simply Cyber Community Mod and longtime member of the community and just an awesome individual altogether. He works at NCC Group. Um, they're definitely doing good stuff. This story, whoops. This story, what you need to take away from this story, this is almost like the ransomware roundup that we hear from time to time at the end of the, at the, end of the show. Ransomware is not going anywhere. I've said it a million times. It is super lucrative with very little risk, right? So. Just think about the base calculus of this. If you can stick your hand in a cookie jar and pull out a cookie and the chances of you getting in trouble are very, very low. And if you did get in trouble, like it's like being sent to your room, but your parent isn't going to leave. Like, you know what it is? It's like getting your hand stuck in the cookie jar and like your parent shows up on FaceTime and they're like, uh, 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 hey, you're not supposed to do that. Go to your room. And then like the FaceTime ends like do you go to your room? Do you have to go to your room? Like they can't, they're not there to enforce the punishment, right? If they even catch you. So all that a long way to say ransomware is spiking, not spiking. Ransomware continues to increase. So even though we're doing all this effort to um, protect from ransomware, deter individuals that are victims from engaging in paying off ransomware threat actors through economic sanctions and stuff like that, we're still seeing an increase. And I, I would imagine it's going to continue to increase, frankly, because again, why? Tell me why a threat actor would not want to commit ransomware, right? It's like a lottery ticket. <laughs> like you get rich and there's very little risk. It's basic economics, okay? So what would you want to do with this? Two things. One, you want to either capture this report right here or the actual one from NCC Group, digest and pull out some. Uh, metrics that come from it, and then maybe do a specialized briefing for for your executives. Frankly, hey, here here's a quarterly update on the current state of ransomware, which is basically the number one threat that our organization should be concerned with. Right now, obviously, certain organizations going to have other priorities, but as a as an eighty twenty rule, ransomware is a fine one uh, to give an update on and to uh, be mindful of um, when you're asking for budget on protection mechanisms or, you know, active, um, active auditing, like pen testing of your environment. The, the, the second thing I want you guys to take away from this is that they called it out that Lockbit is the most dangerous ransomware group. They, they kind of came on the scene quick after Conti um, uh, d d dissipated. 
But, and I know they've been around for a little while, but what I would encourage you to do is go to Miter Attack, right? Miter Attack, doink, doink, doink. Go to the groups. I don't even know if it's here. It better be here. Type, type in Lockbit. Lockbit? Lockbit doesn't show up. All right, I'll have to ask Eric Taylor in chat or, or anyone in chat. If Lockbit goes by a different uh, APT name, then I want to know because basically what you should do is go get the TTPs from MITRE ATT&CK for Lockbit and then make sure that your organization has some level of protection or detection. Well, I mean, you'll obviously have detection. They'll tell you that they've compromised you. But basically what I'm trying to say is you could use MITRE ATT&CK to help ensure that your defenses are properly aligned to protect from Lockbit, okay? Just be mindful. Ransomware is not going anywhere. and Insurance companies are really unhappy about it. <laughs> the Pentagon may require vendors to certify their software as free of known flaws. Oh my God. The House of Representatives software vulnerability provision from within the massive 2023 National Defense Authorization Bill passed July 14th continues to divide the cybersecurity community. The debate boils down to whether the requirement is unnecessary and impossible to achieve or is a game-changing move that will begin holding software vendors accountable for selling faulty technology. The Biden administration's position is that the software industry should emulate the automotive industry where, quote, manufacturers retain ownership and responsibility, end quote, through the life of the vehicle, according to Ann Neuberger, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology. But cybersecurity executive Dan Lorick argues there's no such thing as vulnerability-free software. Yeah, um, this isn't uh, this isn't good. This isn't good. Like, okay, with all due respect, this policy sounds like it's written by people who don't know what they're talking about, <laughs> right? This is written by non-technical people who don't understand software. This, this is not achievable, okay? I'm not saying that you go YOLO and ship on Monday and patch on Wednesday to get first to market, which we've seen in the past, right? Microsoft used to be notorious for doing this. But I, I do think there's there's got to be a solution somewhere in the middle of having accountability for vendors uh, to, to, to incorporate security into their SDLCs, but requiring vendors to certify software is free of known flaws, I see two things happening. One, the certification's worth trash because software vendors, a couple things. One, technology, like advancements happen, right? You can't have, you could have something that's certified secure today and then something comes out tomorrow that invalidates that certification, right? Security researchers are constantly looking you can't have. You can't prove a negative. So you can't hire 500 security researchers to work on your cloud uh, SaaS solution offering, and they all find no vulnerabilities. And then it goes to market, and in some like you know crack uh, top uh, crack shot uh, security researcher out of uh, Uganda finds something the next day, right? So so this is not achievable in practice. This isn't like it's to me. This is like this is fine to say. Like, oh, like, look at me. Like, I'm simple. Like, yeah, you can say this, but it's not realistic at all. Second thing, a lot of software vendors, including... Oh, thank you, Ronald, for the sub. We got Carl jamming out. Way to go, Carl. Listen, here's another thing that you can't do. Software vendors, they're not building monolithic solutions 
in a in a bat cave somewhere and then releasing it into the wild they are aggregating from different places open source software gets pulled in we famously saw log4j back in december of 21 when that vulnerability popped people were like oh my god where's log4j like we didn't even know where it was so you've got this yes you can do a software bill of materials inside the software package but then how are you going as as like you know whatever microsoft how are you going to certify that all of those open source solutions which are actively being maintained by people who do not work for you are also free of software flaws you see what i'm saying this thing is like a hot mess on fire like this is why i have the dumpster fire emote for squad members if i if i had my hands on my keyboard i would be dropping dumpster fire emotes this is again my tldr of this is this is simple and the people who are on the side of certifying that it's free of vulnerabilities and, and mapping it to the automotive industry which is mechanical not digital like they don't with all due respect they don't know what they're talking about this isn't achievable and running a vuln scanner for example like running a vuln scanner against uh, an asset or running um some type of like burp against a, a cloud a web app or something like that it's only going to catch the things that the scanner is programmed to catch right which is a lot of um i don't want to say common stuff but like it's the known things that can be automated by a scanner there's a whole other range where human skilled practitioners can manipulate and find bugs and flaws inside software oh and by the way certify the software's known or flaws guess what s3 buckets can be absolutely certified super clean right seal of approval and carl misconfigures it and sticks it on the internet that's a flaw that has nothing to do with the software implementation that has to do with the configuration and deployment of the software so is that going to qualify as a as a as a flaw that they're responsible for this thing man get get out of here with that hackers adopt sliver toolkit as a cobalt strike alternative a report from microsoft notes that threat actors are dumping the cobalt strike penetration testing suite in favor of sliver as defenders learned how to detect and stop Cobalt Strike attacks, Palo Alto Networks observed threat actors switching to Brute Rattel, an adversarial attack simulation tool designed to elude security products. However, the open-source cross-platform kit called Sliver has now become an attractive alternative. Microsoft states that hackers from state-sponsored groups and cybercrime gangs are increasingly using this Go-based security testing tool, which had been developed by researchers at Bishop Fox Cybersecurity Company. Whoa. The better news is that malicious activity performed using Sliver can be detected using hunting queries drawn from analyzing the toolkit. Okay, like like anything else, guys, okay? Um, you know, like Cobalt Strike has been the post-exploitation framework for, for a long time. It's supposed to only be used for legitimate purposes. Cracked versions exist. Threat actors use it. It's a very good tool. That should almost be, <laughs> like, as perverse as it is, that should almost be the indicator to people evaluating which solution to buy that threat actors love using it. Wow, why? Because it's awesome. That's why, right? Like, like if you want to talk about the proof is in the pudding, there's no better marketing than the fact that the threat actors love this framework for post-exploitation. Okay, rant over. Now, Cobalt Strike, because it is so well-known, uh, the way it beacons, the way it drops, the way it moves, like all of those things, a lot of security technologies, uh, defensive security technologies, 
are configured to kind of look for and understand Cobalt Strike, right? Like the the, the executables, the the network traffic patterns, the TTPs, if you will, of Cobalt Strike. So threat actors and pen testers are moving to other frameworks. Uh, Empire was a big one for a minute uh, back back years ago. Sliver is now another one. Brutal, guys. I again, I, I'll say this. I say this with different things from time to time, but like. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It's Cobalt Strike tomorrow, today. It's Sliver today. Uh, t it's Cobalt Strike yesterday. It's Sliver today. And tomorrow, it's, you know, FUBAR framework. It, it doesn't matter. The point is the, the, um, the functionality of this type of technology is what is consistent. It is a post-exploitation exploitation framework basically just so we are all on the same page threat actor or jerry compromises your box we put in post exploitation because we've exploited it and now we want to establish some type of like lock hold on that box to have a nice strong um ba like bastion uh into your network or foothold into your network and then as we start moving laterally we exploit more machines we install more cobalt strike Beaconing coming into a C2 server, we get a nice visual representation of our compromised network, very similar to like what it looks like on threat gen red versus blue uh, when you're playing as the red team. And you can then start doing clever things like um, you can uh, push traffic. Like say you're going to data exfil some sensitive document off the CEO's laptop. Well, instead of it going from the CEO's laptop out the internet, it'll go from CEO's laptop to Carl's laptop to Jerry's laptop to you know, Kevin's laptop and then out the front door because Kevin, you know, Kevin is, uh, you know, an R&D and he accesses crap all the time. Like that's just some uh, additional clever functionality, right? My point is Sliver does something similar. You have to be consistent in your defensive postures. And this is why the Bianca Pyramid of Pain has like hashes and executables at the bottom. Guys, if you're building your entire defensive posture on blocking Cobalt Strike, you're missing the forest for the trees. You should be blocking at TTPs, like not allowing data exfil, not allowing network traffic to known bad regions, not allowing lateral communication between endpoints, doing network segmentation. So it doesn't matter what the next framework is. You have solid foundational security built into your environment and processes in order to execute on them as necessary. So it doesn't matter what the threat actors do. All right. Having said all that, if you're not that far along in your security program, um, you may want to look at some of the TTPs that Sliver and Brut Rutel use in order to make sure that you're catching <clears throat> some of that low-hanging fruit. Also, if you're interview, first of all, if you're interviewing for an offensive security job, you absolutely should know this. If you if if you drop Sliver or Brute Rutel and tell them that it's kind of replacing Cobalt Strike, maybe you ask them, hey, what post-exploitation framework are y'all using, <clears throat> right? You're going, <clears throat> excuse me, you're definitely going to impress the interviewers because the fact that you know post-exploitation frameworks is great. And then the fact that you know that there's a trend in the industry to, from the threat actor perspective to switch from Cobalt Strike to these ones is good. Now, and I'll, the final thing I'll say is if you're red teaming, which is a little different than pen testing, then using one of these frameworks makes even more sense. And the difference between pen testing and red teaming basically is pen testing is can you just get in? Red teaming is you're actually trying to emulate certain threat actors and certain experiences for the customer or the client. 
Uh, so using these frameworks that threat actors are actually switching to makes a ton of sense. Boom. Let's do the read. Thanks to this week's episode sponsor, Code42. It's not just about the data leaving your company. What about the data coming in? Along with departing employees, new talent is also actively joining your organization. This poses cybersecurity challenges since they could be knowingly or unknowingly bringing data from their former company into your network. Code 42 Insider, I-N-C-Y-D-R, is an insider risk management SaaS that provides a comprehensive understanding of your data exposure and shows which activities require security intervention. You can learn more at code42.com slash show me. That's code42.com slash show me. Show me. All right. So thanks for the read. Let me just spend one minute because uh, it is Friday, which is super exciting. I, I was talking to my brother. Uh, before the show, so I didn't get this set up, but I want to—I just want to take a second and, and remind you guys. If you don't know about this, let me tell you really quickly. I started a newsletter last week. First episode or first issue or whatever went out last Monday. Got some feedback. Ready to iterate over it. Jeremy Williams with the super chat. Thanks, Jeremy. Genuinely appreciate it. Good luck on the interview, my man. Please report back if you feel comfortable on how it went and when you start oh yeah okay so check it out with this newsletter right here um it goes out every monday morning at 8 a.m and i genuinely appreciate that han solo with the thing you don't see that one often but i love it thanks jeremy so if you guys didn't get it on monday you can go to pages.simplycyber.io slash news which if you do exclamation point newsletter someone in chat please do that exclamation point newsletter will give you the link it will take you to this page. All you have to do is drop in your email address and you will get the letter on Monday. What is this letter, Jerry? Do I care? Listen, I basically have, I, I distill this letter down. It's like a two minute read, but you can skim it in like 30 seconds. And I take three actionable pieces of Intel. One is for your end users. One is for your peers. One is for executives. And I literally give you like a snippet of what it's related to, like the story. And then in big, bold font right beneath it, I tell you as if I was, you know, you know, giving you like a, a, a advice or guidance, or if I was your CISO, hey, this is what you got to do with this. I literally tell you actionable, like two sentences, do this, right? Tell your end users. Okay, so I think the Microsoft um, fake USB drives that are getting mailed out to victims in order to basically perpetrate... Um, uh, scams, like fraud scams, Indian call center fraud scams. That's my end user one. Hey, send it to your, send it to your end users. Tell them threat actors are doing this. Don't ever plug a USB drive in that you got in the mail, period. End of story. You can, you can wrap it up. You could take this actionable Intel and operationalize it almost instantly based on the way I've distilled it for you. Um, and again, it's once a week and I think it'll, it'll come in Monday. So when you get to work, you grab your coffee. You obviously just watched, uh, the, the simply cyber daily cyber threat briefing. And then you've got actionable information. You can basically start moving first thing Monday morning while people are still like trying to figure out like, oh, like wiping sleep from their eyes or like, oh my God, did you catch the game? And like, you're just like, not right now, Carl. I'm busy securing everything, right? You can win. This is what that point of that email is. So please check it out if you're interested. And if you do get it and you do have feedback, please send it to me. I am interested in making this valuable for everybody. So if you have constructive feedback, telling me I suck, that doesn't do anything for me. So save your breath. But 
if you if you think it should be shaped differently or worded differently or include something that isn't there or remove something that is there, holler at me, okay? All right, let's go. Block sued after ex-staffer siphons customer data. The digital payments giant formerly known as Square faces allegations it failed to take adequate measures to protect customers' personal information. A lawsuit was filed Tuesday in a federal district court in Oakland, California, on behalf of two users of Cash App, a block subsidiary, in relation to evidence that a former employee was able to download internal reports containing personal information after leaving the firm. Block disclosed the December 10, 2021 data theft on April 4th of this year and stated it was contacting 8.2 million current and former customers about the incident. All right. Okay. So couple things here. One, I didn't know this, but everybody, well, I feel like a lot of people have heard of Square. Square is like basically the, it allows you to take credit card payments in a wicked easy way. Okay. They've changed their name to Block. Did not know that. Everybody still calls it Square when you see the Square. Um, they're being scrutinized for really poor information security practices. Uh, and there was a, um, a data breach of personal information. Now, one thing that I do find interesting, they obviously call it out in the story, is that if you remember on Monday, uh, Peter Zapko, actually twi a whistleblower uh, on Twitter, he, he was responsible for security at Twitter for two years. He was uh, fired. Uh, and he came out and said that, like, basically, their Twitter's information security practice is a hot mess on fire. Like, you know, the this is fine. E emote <laughs> squad members. We're, we're touching all the emotes today, buddy. Listen, that this is fine is what was going on. Now, there is a relation here. Jack Dorsey was in charge of um, Twitter at the time that Zapco was in charge of security at Twitter. So, again, as I said before, this Jack Dorsey guy seems like a nice enough fella, but... Almost always, and this is this is kind of a macro thing that we could we could have a beer about. Almost always, yes, the CISO is in charge of setting the strategic direction um, for an information security program and getting funding, making the compelling cases, um, you know, being responsible for information security. But it really is the C-suite at an organization that defines the the attitude, if you will, about how information security is perceived at the organization. We, we joke from time to time, thanks BSEC, you know what I'm talking about. We joke from time to time that everybody in your environment uses Windows except the CEO. She's got a MacBook because reasons, okay? This happens all the time, but this is what I'm saying. If, if the C-suite is saying like, oh, like whatever, like, you know, remote access from everywhere, do whatever you want, then like it's going to percolate down into the rank and file because they're like, why the hell should I care? Like, look at what's going on. We are, we're all about profits here. We're all about money. Got to pump those numbers. Those are rookie numbers, right? So it permeates down. And then when you're the CISO or Zapco in this case, like, and you're screaming, like we are wicked vulnerable. And they're just like, eh, you know, whatever. So the fact that Square had a very similar situation isn't surprising. A lot of large organizations that are really focused on the on the on the dollar dollar bills, y'all, um, they um, may miss miss. Um, they may not want to invest in cybersecurity or do the bare minimum, frankly, because they don't they see it as a cost center. That's another term. Hold on one second. Great cash, homie. Thank you, Randy. Listen. This doesn't surprise me. Hopefully, Block gets held accountable. I will tell you this. If they are sued successfully, I could see a follow-up lawsuit being brought up against Twitter 
Uh, Twitter hasn't suffered a, a data breach that we know of right now, so it's a little bit of a different case. But precedent would be set here on organizations having a not a fiduciary responsibility, but like kind of a quasi fiduciary responsibility to protect the data and assets. And oh, by the way, I'm sure that they outlined both in PR marketing reports and in terms um, terms of service that they do protect your data. They do take security seriously. Um, so this could be bad. Um, obviously, it's not good for Block, but it might be bad for Twitter as well, just to kind of tie it back into there. I don't know what Fraud Dog did, but Seth, good luck, man. Congratulations, whatever it was. I'm sure it's awesome. Um, so yeah, that's that's what's going on there. Uh, I had another like uh, rant point, but to stay on schedule, let's keep rolling. Google accused of airbrushing carbon emissions in flight search results. This follows a change, first noted by the BBC, to its flight search engine that shows the estimated carbon emissions of each route. The company flags routes with higher or lower than typical emissions and also reports the total CO2 emitted per passenger on any given journey. In July, Google made a change that halved the total emission figures by changing from kilograms of carbon dioxide equivalent to just the CO2 emitted on each journey. This helped eliminate the mention of the environmental impact of any given flight. Google argues that it is impossible to precisely estimate carbon dioxide equivalent for a given flight, but when the change was pushed through, Google made no public acknowledgement of its new figures, save for a single note published to a developer account on GitHub. VM wow, I haven't heard this term before. Greenwashing. I don't know if you guys can see that. Greenwashing? So I won't take a ton of time on this uh, because I want to stay on, stay on time schedule here. But check this out. Two things. One, John Oliver, last week tonight, recently did a video on carbon emissions. Definitely encourage that you go watch it, okay? I'm, I'm a John Oliver last week tonight fan. I think he does great kind of uh, satirical investigative journalism. And he does one on carbon emissions that is fantastic. Now, all I'm going to say about this, because this isn't really... This isn't a cybersecurity story. You could argue it's an information security story, essentially, because there's a quasi attack on the integrity uh, of the information. But here's the deal. Kimberly, get ready with my get ready with the Randy emotes. Check it out. Why would Google put any effort into changing the way that it's being reported on certain flights on what their carbon impact is? Obviously, this is for people searching for flights and then they get results, and then they might have been using those emissions as part of their decision-making process. I'll give you one hint. Great cash, homie. Come on, man. Follow the money. Obviously, people searching for flights are going to be making a purchasing decision right afterwards, and if green emissions or, you know, emission count or whatever is part of the calculus now, and you are, you know, like, I don't know, um, you know, carburetor airs and you're just blowing like mater level smoke out your butt as you're flying. That's not good for business. So, hey, Google, can we do something about that? Right. I'm sure there was some type of financial uh, arrangement, uh, if I had to guess, around this or so some type of uh, discussion. Google did not do this because they were bored on a Friday and they were looking for a quick win. This was definitely motivated and if i had to guess it was cash money carbon black causing blue screen of death crashes on windows 
Windows servers and workstations at dozens of organizations started to crash on Tuesday because of an issue caused by certain versions of VMware's Carbon Black endpoint security solution. According to some reports, systems at more than 50 organizations started to display the blue screen of death, the root of the problem being a rule set deployed to a Carbon Black cloud sensor. On Microsoft Windows systems impacted by the issue, the stop code may identify the error as PFN underscore list underscore corrupt. <laughs> All right. So I, I just brought this up like VMware, like Carbon Black EDR solution. You were supposed to be the chosen one. You were supposed to protect us. Not so much. They're causing blue screens of death. You got to be pissed. Like, okay, so first of all, if you're running Carbon Black, you already know about this issue, or you should definitely, if you haven't suffered the attack yet, you should definitely be mindful of this. This is like a priority if you're running Carbon uh, uh, carbon Black in your environment. Second of all, what a, what a kick in the privates for security teams everywhere that are implementing Carbon Black. Dude, IT and InfoSec are constantly like, they're like, I don't know, like a sibling rivalry. Yes, they have to work together. Yes, they collaborate quite a bit, but they, at the root of it, they do have different mission goals, mission objectives, okay? And a lot of times it takes security, political capital to, you know, get certain things like a carbon black, okay? Now, if carbon, maybe if I'm mistaken, if carbon black cloud is, um, cloud is some type of uh, backup solution, but I think this is an EDR tool. EDR tool. They might call it cloud because the management console is SaaS provided, uh, if I had to guess. But here's my point. InfoSec team, you have to like beg, borrow, and steal in order to put agents on endpoints, especially servers. IT people are like, oh, like your agent's still on my server down. It's like, bro, I haven't even installed the agent yet. Why don't you come at me a different way? Okay, so you've got to do all this pissing back and forth and eventually you get what you want right but it costs political capital i'm not talking about cash money i'm talking about political capital and then this happens man are you kidding me you go through all the effort to deploy carbon black in your environment then you got blue screens rolling across like wanna cry on a on an english morning god damn that this sucks this sucks for infosec teams that implemented it because you're going to have egg on your face cio is going to want to know what the hell happened why are we blue screening why are we down why did the solution that you selected jerry brick the finance department so this sucks carbon black definitely owes an explanation and an apology and i get that it has to do with a patch right i i get crap happens and really you should have good business continuity processes in place you could even spin it where you're like, hey, you know what, CIO? This was a great opportunity for us to identify that we have gaps in our business continuity because guess what? If a couple machines blue screen, we shouldn't come to a grinding halt. We should be able to maintain mission critical business operations. So you're welcome. You're welcome that we discovered this before it was a threat actor knocking our doors down. You feel me? But still, this sucks. This sucks. New Donut Leaks extortion gang linked to recent ransomware attacks. A new data extortion group named Donut Leaks is linked to recent cyber attacks, including those on Greek natural gas company Desfa, UK architectural firm Shepard Robinson, and multinational construction company Sando. Although details from victims was less than forthcoming, the data for these victims has now appeared on the data leak site for a previously unknown extortion gang known as Donut Leaks. 
Furthermore, the data shared on the Donut Leaks site is far more extensive than that shared on the ransomware sites, indicating that this new threat actor was likely involved in the attacks. All right. Uh, we're coming up on time, so I want to be quick. You know, basically, guys, I've said it a million times. This one, it's a funny name, Donut Leaks, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they're young uh, to come up with such like kind of a slappy uh, name, but dude, they're stealing data and they're selling it. They're straight criminal threat actors, period, end of story. Again, you should not be building your program, your defensive postures around specific threat actors. Yes, I said earlier, LockBit, they're prevalent, so maybe you want to check. But dude, if you're implementing security at your organization, you should be implementing like threat actor agnostic protection and detection and and recovery controls in your environment. I don't care who it is today because it's going to be somebody different tomorrow. And if you have sound security foundations, good cyber hygiene, then it doesn't matter who they are the next day. You can pivot quickly. Nothing is more brittle in a security program than making very specific controls to defend against a very specific threat actor. Unless you have intel to indicate that that threat actor is actively targeting you or something like that. Um, but like, okay, so donut leaks. Just add it to, like, throw it on the fire. It's like a tire fire. Just throw it on the fire. Whatever. All right. Uh, it's 845, so we're at time. I do want to tell you, uh, Grayson did have a joke of the day, so I'll offer it up. I'll turn the music on for a minute, and then I'll look over chat. This has been the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing for the week. Uh, ending on August 26th. I've really enjoyed all of you being here. Let me throw a joke at you. Compliments a gray man. Why are atoms not trustworthy? Why are atoms not trustworthy? If you have an atom in your organization, you should be highly sus of them. Why are atoms not trustworthy? I definitely appreciate all of you being here today. We had a great week. Just a reminder, exclamation point newsletter. If you want to get that newsletter going, uh, if my brother, my brother, uh, I, I talked to him right before he had jumped into the stream. I don't know if he stayed with us for the entire 45 minutes, but if he was here, thank you, Rick, for uh, checking it out. Hey, Joel Belt, my man, Kimberly, I, get, I hope you guys have just a wonderful week. Thank you, Michael Starnes. It's always great to see you. All right. Looks like James McQuiggan, if you're here, you can add this one to your dad base. James McQuiggan, he's going to be a guest on Simply Cyber in October uh, to align with Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And this guy has the largest collection of dad jokes I've ever seen. It was great. I spent a lot of time with him at Black Hat. Stella, Stella, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Let me, what can I do? Uh, um, here, what's a good win sound for Stella? Um, Okay, Stella with the win. So atoms aren't trustworthy because they make up everything. Thank you, Grayson, for the joke of the day. Definitely, definitely love it. Guys, have a great weekend. If you got value out of the stream, obviously take a minute, hit the thumbs up. It does help me um, and the show get discovered by other people and they can be part of our community. But the way that uh, I really, really appreciate it would be if you shared this stream with other people. Not today's stream, but today's stream does have value. But just simplycyber.io slash streams. You can see the URL at the top. Hold on, where am I pointing? You can see the URL at the top over there where it says go to. Share that link. It'll come up with all the upcoming live streams. We do this every single weekday morning. 
Next week, 8 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Thursday. Next week, 8 a.m. Eastern, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Tuesday, Thursday. You guys have been wonderful. Go out there. Finish strong. Enjoy the weekend. You've definitely earned it. Take care, everybody.